Welcome to this uh, very special recording of the uh, New Model Advisor podcast. Uh, my name is uh, Will Robbins, I'm the editor of New Model Advisor, and I'm joined today uh, by my colleague Alex Steger, former editor of New Model Advisor, and now currently uh, based in the USA, editing, uh, I say, two publications, CityWire USA and the new RIA publication. Yeah, broadly. CityWire USA is sort of the mothership. Right. CityWire Professional Buyer. Professional Buyer. Very much like CityWire Selector, but for uh, fund selectors in the US. And CityWire RIA, which is our newest venture. Uh, soft launch, I should say. Um, and yeah, that's aimed at what are called uh, registered investment advisors in the US. So this is what we're here to talk about today is uh, the new public, the soft launch publication, as you say, about uh, registered investment advisors because um, my rough understanding is that they are uh, fairly similar to uh, advisors in the in the UK, um, maybe somewhere between that and wealth managers. Uh, who are they, and what are they, what are they doing? Who are they? It's a very good question. I, I don't know all of them. <laughs> uh, I know some. Yeah, I mean broadly. The, the easy analogy, and obviously there's going to be nuances to this which make it imperfect, but with, with very broad brushstrokes, there's a sort of relatively neat analogy between, between them, or comparison I should say, between sort of RAAs and, and NMAs, you could say, so RAAs. Uh, the idea is, you know, they're shops, that, the shops is a phrase they use in America to mean firm, by right. the way. So I will at some point be... Slip in and out I of will be the, using uh, Americanisms throughout yeah. <laughs> this. I'm, I'm bilingual now. I've been there for two years. Amazing. So, um, yeah, I'll say things like faucet, sidewalk, <laughs> yeah. subway. So just try and translate in your head or put a note in for the readers. Fine. Uh, shops. So, yeah, but they are. They're, they're, they're smaller independent firms that... Uh, the advisors are set up by themselves. So the, the, the right. comparisons there are obviously they, they sort of left uh, what are called broker-dealers and wirehouses. We can come on to them in a minute. Sure. I guess the comparison for them would be sort of um, the old networks almost, yeah. you know, tied or multi-tied networks. They've left them and they want to take control of their own practice. Uh, so they've set up shop by themselves. Um, they're advising their own clients, you know, the sort of more independent in terms of the, the investments that they can choose and how they structure those things. And in some ways, the main thing there is they don't have to pay away any of their revenue to their network, their white house, their broker yeah. dealer, whereas under those arrangements previously, you know, it's for all the services they get from these networks, be that compliance, marketing, investments, mm. they give back sort of 30, 40% or whatever yeah. it is. I don't yeah. actually know the numbers of their revenue. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, that's sort of the comparison, you know, it's a little bit like NMA is going out, doing your own thing, um, putting your clients first rather than working for, you know, a Merrill Lynch or a, yeah. uh, a UBS yeah. who, I'm sure they do put their clients first, but historically the, sure. the perception of the culture so is that they're there to make money. Is that a, re is that a relatively recent phenomenon? Uh, it is and it isn't. It's a phenomenon that's really, really kind of hit critical mass, I think, in the last sort of two, three years. But actually it's been going on, you know, again, these are broad brushstroke numbers, I could sure. probably get pulled up by <laughs> someone who knows more about this than me in the yeah. US. But you know, it's a trend that's been going on for, you know, I'd, I'd say sort of eight, nine years actually. But it's one that's really hitting, hitting peak at the moment. You're seeing every week, you know, tens of firms leave, uh, leave the broker dealers, leave the wires, going to set up as, as RIAs. 
and there's lots of there's a whole sort of industry around it now, just as you have kind of in the UK with these you know consolidators and support services yeah, providers and things. Yeah. There's a whole industry around helping firms leave the wire houses or the broker dealers and set themselves up. So that's kind of accelerating the trend further. Uh, there's a lot of private equity investment going into this. Mm. So you're seeing you know, some really quite significant sums of money. But come on to how much money there is just in the US. Yeah. It's nuts. I was going to say, um, just in terms of scale, like good to have a common idea. How big are these wire houses? And are the firms that are set up out of them, yeah, so are they one-man bands or are they like actually like 20 people? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I mean, so the wire houses are, so the, typically the wire houses are these four firms. is UBS, Wells Fargo, Merrill Lynch and, and Morgan Stanley, sort of household right. names over here, yeah. but even more so over there. Okay. And they are, can I swear on this podcast? Or? I can say, I'm gonna, yes, I'm going to give green light to swear. I'm going to use a low, they're bloody big, Will, they're <laughs> bloody big. <laughs> bloody, um, that's okay. I'm, I'm not going to go straight into an F, you know, <laughs> we'll warm up to that. Yeah, uh, flipping great. Uh, huge. <laughs> yeah. They, they are, they are, they are, I think, I think Merrill Lynch and Morgan Stanley are somewhere around 15,000, 16,000 advisors each. Right, right. So I, I think that's, Probably between them, that's the whole of the UK. It's pretty <laughs> much. Or yeah, it's pretty much. Uh, I think Merrill Lynch has something yeah. like two trillion dollars under, you know, under under wow. management, under okay. the advice control. So they're they're pretty big. And then in yeah. terms of the firm leaving, they just completely vary in size. So the way okay. they work these things is, you could have Will Robbins Financial Planning, and you could be part of Merrill Lynch, and you might call yourself the Will Robbins Group. Yeah. And you might yeah. actually have like four other advisors and ten other staff. So you're a decent firm within yourself, but you're still part of Merrill yeah, Lynch and sure. then you break away. So you're as big as you as you are when you leave, basically. Yeah. So sometimes they typically tend to sort of have, I'd say sort of three, four plus advisors. And sometimes yeah. you get these big sort of billion dollar firms leaving. Wow. Um, which is a more recent thing, I think. Okay. Uh, but more often, yeah, more often, like hundreds of millions. And, and obviously commercial independence and like actual independence. How does that work over there? Is this a, basically the same? The, you're either kind of restricted to sort of a set of panel of funds or you're not? Yeah, that is. Is it enshrined in regulation the same uh, way? Um, well, regulation, oh, we'll come on that. That's a we'll later, later point. That's there, almost right? an F word there. That's very complicated. <laughs> um, in terms of independence, it's very interesting. So what you have is there's not, it's not called tied or multi-tied in the same way. And actually, these wire houses, um, they typically have had very, very broad range of funds you can choose from, you know, thousands of funds. So to all intents, it's sort of open market, yeah. you know, once you get over, frankly, once you get over 4,000 funds, it's, you know, do you need more choice than that? I mean, I don't, I don't know. But what, there's two things changing very, well, two things which are very interesting about that. One is there are massive conflicts of interest around that. So there, you, you, fund groups still pay for shelf space. It's completely legal to do that. Right. You just have right, to declare okay. that you're doing it. Okay. So, at, you know, and so some of these groups, uh, and I mentioned the wirehouses, but there's other firms of similar size called broker dealers, you know, things like that. Ameriprise, Raymond James, a name some people might yep. know. LPL, Edward Jones, also a name some people know. They remember the old Towery case back in the <laughs> day. Yeah. Young. Well uh, reported on. Very well, very well very reported well, at the time. Well, I can't remember yeah. the journalist's name. Some, young but guy. Some, would, some would say, you know, a rising star at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So they all have these deals in place. And, they ha and what they have is they have about 20 uh, asset managers will be. Mm. Preferred, they're preferred asset managers, and they'll pay more money than everybody else, right. and therefore they'll <laughs> have more prominent shelf space. Yeah, wow. And there'll be a higher, there'll be revenue splits between, let's pick on Raymond James, for example, between Raymond James and let's say BlackRock. Uh, if BlackRock wants to be one of the, the primary part partners or your first tier partners, whatever the 
bullshit marketing phrase they use is yeah. they'll pay more than other people and their funds will have more prominence, etc., cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So those platforms, I don't know what you'll call that. It's, in theory, there's still 5,000 funds on there, but 20 yeah. firms get some, more. Some, some are more equal some, than others, exactly. basically. Yeah. Uh, and you're also seeing, for other reasons, um, the, those firms actually reducing the number of funds they have on their platforms at the moment. Okay. Partly for commercial reasons, partly to cover themselves, because there's a move in the US to slightly restrict, for the wires to restrict the funds their advisors are choosing, for compliance, basically. So they're oh, not right. picking dodgy, bad funds so they don't get sued. Just, just try, yeah, because there's, there's such a large choice. Uh, yeah, and also I think we'll, we'll talk about regulation in a bit, but yeah. partly because there's some regulation that's right, been going Right, okay, on well, let's stick yeah. a pin in that. So what, I mean, what, look, the, the magazine, uh, so similar, I mean, there'll be some similarities with what we do with, uh, with NMA over here because obviously we look at some of those regulatory things, as, uh, but, but obviously a lot of commercial challenges as, as well. And like just, you know, the, the, the kind of ups and downs of running a business and being an advisor, you know. So, you know, what, what, are, your, what are your readers' priorities, I suppose, is what I'm asking. Yeah. Um, and the short answer is, well, you know. No, I do know. I mean, <laughs> the point with this magazine, I, I should add, though, is, you know, there are obviously a lot of people already in America doing this. <laughs> and, you know, obviously, as you know, a student of history, no one has ever, no Brits ever gone to America and failed. It's, it's easy. Yeah. Just turn up. Just ask it. Robbie Williams. Robbie Williams, Oasis. Yeah, you know, take that. It's sort of the same, same thing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, Shame we don't have a broader frame of reference <laughs> other than just bands. Uh, Craig bigger. David. And Did you really say anything? Craig David, I suppose, yeah. He's not as big though, was he? He did a couple of, he had a reworked couple of songs. Songs, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, Craig David aside. Yeah, the, what we're trying to do is have a bit more of an investment focus than perhaps what's out there already. Sure. But okay. yeah, look, you know, of course some things are similar there. You know, regulation is, I think, front and centre of a lot of people's thoughts at the moment. Just as you know, when the RDR was coming through yeah. here in the UK, it was there, and there was a thing in the US called the DOL rule, the Department of Labor's fiduciary rule. Why don't we talk about that? Yeah, which that was front and center. It's changed slightly, and let's, let's okay. yeah, we can we can sidetrack down that. And let's just explain what this is. Yeah, yeah. So the DOL fiduciary rule is now dead. It died last week. Last week. Last week. Oh wow! It's officially, okay. yes. This is this is this is fresh. This is <laughs> fresh news for the UK. Um, it died last week after a very protracted, long death. Right. Not a nice, clean one. So kind of like a sort of, uh, like an old person. Who Lo killed lots it? Lots of complications. Is it Donald Trump that killed it? Ultimately, Trump killed it. Yeah, ultimately, Trump right, killed right. it. Um, so what happened? Well, the DOL, Department of Labor, is a little bit like, and again, these are broad brushstrokes, a little bit like the, the DWP. Okay, so yeah. And then you've got the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is a little bit like the FCA. So they, they have two yeah. sort of bodies. The DW, uh, the DOL, I'm getting confused. <laughs> the DOL, they proposed this rule under Barack Obama. Yeah. They, oppose, they proposed this rule to bring in um, a fiduciary standard so that broker dealers who are slightly different from advisors, they're okay. regulated in a different way. Right. Basically, previously, brokers only had to recommend products that were suitable for their clients, not necessarily in their client's best interest. <laughs> now, it's a hell of a mm, thing what does that, mean? that that yeah. was fine. Yeah. So basically what that meant was, say you came to me and you, uh, I don't have to you let's say, let's, these are really obvious, you came to me, you, you're, you're a young guy, Will. We're two young We're guys. Two young guys. Two yeah. young guys. Uh, you're, you're, you're a young guy and you just wanted just pure growth. You just wanted access to, you know, let's say a few years ago, US markets going gangbusters. You just say to me, look, I want, I want a US growth fund and yeah. whatever. You do yeah. the relevant yeah. 
uh, forms, etc. Sure. Now, they could have put you in a nice low-cost BlackRock iShares ETF that tracks the S&P and you would have smashed it. You would have got you know, your 20% a year paying 0.0001 basis point or something ridiculous. But under this, under this rule, they wouldn't have had to do that. They, would have, they could have just gone, okay, well, here's this, I won't pick on someone, Fund shop X, yeah. and it's charging you 90 basis points to actively manage the easiest market in the world. And they wouldn't have done anything wrong by doing that because it would have been suitable, right. but it wouldn't have been in your best interest because you would have given up whatever percentage of your returns. So it kind yours. of fits, you know, it's, it's a sort of, yeah, it fits the bill enough, but really that's very low bar. Very low bar. Right. And then that's a very simplistic way, and this was to bring in a fiduciary rule, which meant they would have had to act in your best interest. Yeah. Um, and the thing was also, Advisors in the US, the registered investment advisors, as regulated by the SEC, already held themselves to this fiduciary standard. Okay. And there was this whole sort of argument, you know, so it wasn't quite a level playing field. Yeah. Brokers would sometimes yeah. call themselves advisors. So it's a yeah. little bit reminiscent of the old sort of independent, restricted kind yeah. of who gets yeah. to use names. You know, some people, it's we, okay for them to behave in a certain way. If other people, they yeah. have to prove that. And was that other, the, the other fiduciary standard? Was that just something that they held themselves to? No, it was like a Because if you were regulated by the SEC, my understanding of this was that then that was part of this. Yeah, Whereas if you were regulated fine. by FINRA, I think it was different. Okay. And I'm, I'm, to be honest with you. Yeah, it was complicated. Is it more complicated? It is incredibly yeah. complicated. Yeah. And, and as with the RDR, there were so many sort of weird permutations. Yeah. You know, you've got the same kind of. But then again, you also got this very similar argument. Some people going, well, actually, you know, a brokerage account is best to serve these some people in if they're, you know, yeah. they're one-off transactional clients. It actually costs them more to move to a basis point structure. So there were some similar arguments, but obviously there's some idiosyncrasies to US yeah. pensions and investment laws. But despite all that, then it, uh, why, what was the, what was the, what was the, Trump didn't Impetus. like it. Why didn't he like it? Just I oh, didn't like well anti-business. I mean, didn't like red tape. You know, the idea right, was yeah. it's restricting advisors. You had the same sort of argument that some advisors would go out of business. You know that you know as you had with the RDR, the old yeah. advice gap would be yeah. created. Uh, you know, obviously you can't underestimate lobbying in the US is a mm. is a huge industry. The money behind that. You know, the fund groups and the brokerage firms. You know. In the UK, what have you got? You've got SJP, really, and everyone else doesn't really have the money to sort of do a lot. Yeah, a few, there, a few active providers. You yeah. know what I mean? But yeah, there, yeah. you've just, you know, the industry's so big. Um, the broker dealers are so, you know, the, 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 those wirehouses and things yeah. like I mentioned. Yeah, deep so pockets. Yeah. Huge pockets. So there was a big push to get, to get things changed. And obviously, also in the US, it's incredibly litigious. You can challenge everything in every court, at every level. Yeah. And eventually, it got pulled down. But the DOL, yeah, under Trump, it changed you know, change the people running it. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. He sort of said very early on that he was anti-it. Um, Scaramucci, did, did the Mooch make it over here? Yeah, from the Mooch was, the was big news for a few, okay. few weeks. Yeah, yeah same, yeah. 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 He, still, he, still, he has a longer half-life in the US. Uh, but the Mooch, the Mooch said something about it. He sort of took it down back when he was involved in Trump. And yeah. I don't know how influential he was actually on that agenda, but yeah, they were always very anti- Bit of colour, though. To the, yeah, they'd be yeah. fun. I think he called it like, some sort of understated quote like it's you know the worst rule in all of history <laughs> it's so dumb nothing's ever been dumber yeah, something sort yeah. of quite verbose like that yeah yeah and yeah and eventually they, they lost the will for it they, they semi they semi implemented it a little bit this is getting too boring we can cut this bit out they semi implemented it then it was sort of delayed delayed while they yeah, reviewed yeah. it and they pulled it out and but it, there is a twist ah right. which is the sec is going to bring in their own rule which may not go quite as far but will probably um uh, sort of do very similar things. 
And actually, the SEC's rule is they're a better body to do it because they're like the SEA and it will cover advice on all assets, whereas the DOL rule, because it's sort of like the Department of Yeah, that's uh, like a DWP. law rather than a well, regulation. Also, because they only governed retirement accounts, it only affected advice ah, on yeah, assets yeah, yeah. in 401k, so, so yeah. DC pension plans yeah. or, or SIPs. Or this is like bringing of. something in just for pensions. Exactly. Like, yeah. So that, yeah, that was like one of the big... To charge cap on auto One of the big criticisms against yeah. it was that, whereas now this yeah. new rule will, will, will come in and it will... Um, cover all assets, so in some ways it's better. And yeah. I think it's a, it's a gentler rule, which is probably better. Yeah. But I say that again without being a lawyer in the US. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's, uh, okay. And you know, presumably you've got a, you've got a cohort of, of advisors. I call them RIA, sorry. Who, Home advisors, ah, it's fine. Um, who, advisors, who, um, who are kind of, you know, a similar thing that they just sort of, happy to kind of take on a bit more, you know, restrict, themse restrict themselves, but happy to hold themselves to a higher standard and try and make that a, a yeah, virtue absolutely. of their business. You like know, you've got this sort of, you know, obviously there's, there's an element of them doing this for themselves as well as their clients. You know, they can make more money by doing this without having to pay back so much. Yeah. Um, you know, they get to own their own business so they can, you know, sell it or do some sort yeah. of, you know, succession plan towards the end or they can join one of these aggregators and, um, you know, partially IPO and stuff. So there's business motivations for them doing it, of course, but I think they are, for the most part, the ones that I've spoken to and met, you know, they, they do care about their clients, as I think actually the vast majority of advisors do, despite their you know, solid <laughs> reputation. Despite, despite the odd miscreant in yeah, South Wales. Yeah, th there are plenty of miscreants, but, you know, there are also yeah. plenty of good ones. Um, sure. Yeah, I think that's the idea. You know, they're putting their clients first, they want to do something different, you know, they want to... Um, I've forgotten the question asked me. That's fine. No, I can't remember. The, I can't okay. remember the question either. All oh, right, lost, yeah. lost in history. Yeah, I mean, yeah. ultimately, they are taking on more things. But again, like like the UK, they can outsource some of that stuff. So you know, you can you know, you can outsource some of your you know compliance thing. You can outsource yeah, yeah, some yeah. investment management and all that kind of thing. So again, the the comparisons are, are there. You don't have to sort of take this all on yeah. your, yourself and do everything. But that's ultimately, yeah, they're they're taking it on themselves and so they're, they're sort of entrepreneurs. If uh, I mean, well, I remember mentioning your. Uh, your your mag on online on Twitter when you when you launched obviously lots of, lots of excitement and uh, had a, uh, one or two IFAs actually UK IFAs um, uh, sort of expressed interest in this in the sense that they said oh yeah well we he said they said we benchmark ourselves against RIAs rather than um, you know the, you know the, what you might say is the typical UK IFA firm because they more it better represented their business which I assume was because they perhaps have quite a lot going on in terms of the investment side. Um, the sort of, you know, some advice firms are kind of quite sophisticated that way now. Um, it's I wonder it's if that was, yeah, it, w it might be of interest for, for some advice firms to look at what's going on. And yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very broad church and you've got, uh, you know, all sorts of firms and there'll be some UK firms who will look at, you know, a good UK firm could look at a bad US firm and go, why the, why the hell would yeah. I possibly yeah, yeah, Sure, sure, sure. Uh, but, and vice versa. But I, th I think what's interesting, you know, is, is, is it's a size and the scale thing as well. So, yeah. you know, you can have these firms that want, you know, the two, three trillion dollars, and that doesn't make them a huge firm. It makes them a big firm, mm. but it doesn't make them, you know, mm. one of the biggest. And, but, you know, with that, that suddenly means you've got 20 people and you've got a CIO and an investment committee yeah. and, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera. Is the investment, are the investment propositions more sophisticated? I don't know. I, don't, I, w I would actually say from my time on NMA, you know, there's some, I, I, I would argue the good firms that we spend a lot of time you know, yeah. talking to had pretty good investment propositions. You've still got the range in the US of, you know, there are the, the, the passive sort of evangelists 
Yeah, are they? Are these mostly? You wear a massive, it's huge a, in America. I mean, is, it is, really and it is, it is, and it isn't. I mean, it's huge in you know the whole argument. You know, or sort of uh, what would you call it? Kind of the trend that everyone picks up on about yeah. passive income. But if you look at where most of those assets are, you know, it's in U.S. equities, which is exactly where they should be. You know, right. they're still, an, and that's in U.S. large cap and things. There's still a huge amount of active funds also doing really, really well there. Yeah. And I'm sure when the market turns, if it ever, you know, if that happens, <laughs> it's been meant to happen forever, yeah, then yeah. maybe you'll see some of that change and stuff. So ETFs are, you know, ETFs and passives are big in America, but, you know, so are active mutual funds <laughs> yeah. uh, still. Um, it's a real mix. You get some, you know, we had this guy, Rick Edelman, and on, your, on, your cover. on our second issue. And he's very much, he's probably the most I sort of met like an NMA in some respects. He's Big firm. He's trying to service mm. everyone he can. He doesn't have a he doesn't have a, a cut off for um, I suppose what you call smaller clients or mm. lower net, net worth clients being yeah. viewed. Um, yeah. And he's all about passives, you know. And he's got his own robo advisor. And, and obviously, he's got the scale to make it work. I think he's like a twenty or thirty billion dollar firm. So that kind of model works at scale. Other ones still interactive. One thing I have found very odd which I sort of am worried about, but no one else is, is that a lot of these guys uh, still do, a they still sort of run some of their own funds and quite a few of them quite keen on doing their own sort of direct equity picks or direct oh, bond wow. picks and stuff. Okay. Um, which is a more, it's very common, it's very common. It's, it's, okay. I think culturally that's sort of where they've come from, uh, you know, being, being, being you know, uh, stock and bond, you know, mm. salesmen and things. So they're very used to it. I would hesitate, I would say, could I... Like, can I get the BlackRock fund, please? <laughs> but you know, it's if their clients like it, if they, they seem to be doing okay, it's you know, it's regulated, etc. So you know, that's fine. But that, that's something that surprised me, and I don't think you see that much of anymore. The old diffs, distributed, distributed influence funds. You don't, you don't see as many of them over here yeah. anymore. Whereas, I mean, I don't think again, there's a perfect comparison. But there but everyone ever wanted to, I think, one to NMA firms. I've seen, I've seen there's like there's been a fund. Associated or, or, or the, they've, the that advice has cropped up as a kind of some cropped up on our manager ratings, uh, is, you know. So yeah, it's, it happens, but yeah, very rarely. Yeah, yeah. but that's something that you see, especially on the equity side, um, and I, I suppose quite often they're sort of built around kind of their sort of retirement funds and stuff. So I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying it's sort of it was something I was a little bit surprised about because I guess I guess yeah. to to your point, there is a kind of. Uh, general idea that, you know, the US is, you know, where the US goes, everyone else sort of follows, and yeah. that they're a bit ahead of the curve sort of investment-wise. But I, I really don't think that's necessarily true, that's, you know, thinking okay. of the advice and, and stuff. Like and into stuff like, I remember, you know, I remember uh, the life planners coming over here, George, George Kinder and all that lot. You know, that was always seen by the Brits as a kind of, uh, you know, either you loved it or loathed, loved it or loathed it as a sort of, a, you know, Americanistic type thing. Is he, you know, we're going to ignore, ignore that noise. We're going to pretend, <laughs> pretend it, yeah, no, I want to draw attention to it. Keep this Just stuff in. The, yeah. uh, um, Alan dropped a camera. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Um, you the know, third person in the room. <laughs> Someone else in the room. Here. Uh, you know, is that, is, that, is that even a thing? Like in the US? Like, I'll be honest with you, it's not something I've spent a lot of time on. No, no. Yeah, because I know obviously you and George, you know, you could go way back. He he planned your we, life, he planned your wedding. Well, Chris, Chris, Chris Meller planned my, planned wedding, my life. Your wedding. And planned my whole wedding. It's got, and how's it going? Is it going? Is it going yeah, he's going really it's well. It's going really well. It's going to the plan. Yeah. Um, no, look, I, I, it's, do you know, I mean, look, we're, we're, you know, we've only been doing this for you know, sure, six, sure. seven, eight months. It's not something um, I spend a huge amount of time on or, or can really speak with. Well, I can't speak 
on anything with great authority, <laughs> but even less on that. Uh, but yeah. it exists, obviously. I mean, Tony Robbins is the big one. You're, uh, I think he's related it, to it. He must be related Tony, to your it, brother, yeah. Tony Robbins. How's he spelling that name, Alex? Oh, sure, <laughs> much like you, two Bs, right? One B, Alex, as you well know. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. He's the big one. He's a sort of. He's a kind of. He was a life coach first, and now okay. he's doing some stuff financial planning. And of course, you, you know, some people absolutely love him and think he's the Messiah. And some people probably think he's a, he's a very naughty boy and that he's <laughs> peddling uh, whatever he is. Again, I, you know, I haven't spent loads of time about it. He's the biggest name out there. Kinder, I don't really come across too much. And Dan Sullivan was the other one. Dan Sullivan really, was a sort of, yeah, sort of business. Uh, well, they do like stuff and then it's sort of million dollar roll tape. Million dollar round table. table. Yeah, I mean, it's all there, but it's not massively prevalent, I guess, on a sort of day to day basis in, in the Well, also, you're looking at, you know, the bigger picture as well. So there's all sorts going on. Uh, yeah, what are the other sort of you know kind of issues or that you know might be worth worth mentioning? Well, I've got you in the. I'm going to use, use an American phrase here and uh, circle back to an earlier point. Oh. They, they say that like instead yeah. of like I'll get back to you, like, let me circle back. Yeah. yeah. Um, was actually on the sort of the trend that we talked about earlier of you know these sort of these firms leaving their big wires and broker dealers was the uh, the breakdown of this thing called the, the broker protocol. Right. Um, so do you, again, I'm not obsessed with this story. You know, the old you know, Raymond James Towery thing. It was oh, all about again. breach of contract, yeah. right? Um, and there was this thing in, in America um, where all the big firms had signed this sort of deal, which basically meant you could leave UBS and go to Merrill Lynch and sort of take a certain amount of data with you and they wouldn't sue you. Right. Basically, because everyone was, there's so many of the, the bloody people <laughs> that it was happening all the time. Yeah. And, there's all, and they're always upping their recruitment deals to, oh, you can get you can pay less of your revenue away and we'll give you this signing on bonus. And it's a big, it's a big old sort of recruitment game, you know, yeah. there. And that was happening so often. There was broker, broker protocol, which allowed them basically to move. And, and then if you left Merrill to go to UBS, Merrill wouldn't sue you. And that was fine when it was all just the big firms. But once these RIAs sort of started coming on, they mm. suddenly realised the ecosystem was a bit broken because people were actually just leaving. Because I, I guess the calculation was Merrill would think, oh, five guys will leave, but we'll hire five more back so yeah. everything sort of works out yeah, yeah, yeah. but because of this sort of trend for everyone leaving to set up independent shops suddenly they were like oh hang on just the numbers are just going down <laughs> and straight, they're not coming yeah. back yeah. so Morgan Stanley let me see if I can remember this right Morgan Stanley said right we're leaving the broker protocol so now if you leave Morgan Stanley we will we will sue you for you know client right. solicitation right. or whatever the, yeah. the, the, the correct uh, terms are um, again I must stress I'm not a lawyer America. <laughs> I feel like this um, plays on your mind now more than it ever did before. Well, two things will, you know, one, getting it right from, from a journalistic point of view, two, you know, it's, it's a very litigious place in America, <laughs> yeah. you know, I really, I don't know, I, don't know, I just want the readers to know that, just, that this, this is, I'm doing this to the best of my ability, but I possible. may yeah. fall short. Um, yeah, so that's a kind of an interesting trend, because again, I, I remember at the time back in the UK, yeah. everyone sort of said, why don't we try and get, there was a, a bit of a move in the UK to try and get a kind of, why don't we get a sort of protocol thing in place to sort of yeah. them yeah. down, and actually it's fallen to pieces uh, yeah. in, in, in the States, and it only really worked because there was this sort of big closed shop of massive uh, brokers, and, yeah. and sort of the independent yeah. movement in some ways has, has broken it. Um, well, since the, that the, the Tarry EJ case, like you know, that it's been tested. There've been a couple more small, much smaller things, you know, ha happened again, and each time, uh, I think also like the similar like law firm is involved, um, sort of you know fighting these because obviously they, they made quite a name for themselves, and uh, yeah, you know, they've, they've well, except there was one exception, but mostly they're not the restricted covenants and things aren't really standing up. Um, 
And it's just, I think, a lot of advice I've spoken to just that you know, this accept it's a, a fact, almost a, it's a sort of fact of life that you know your clients will. It's a relationship business. Yeah, whatever you, you know, do, your one year or two years, and then they'll come back. And it's you know, and it's just sort of. You and then know, you sell to someone else, and then you leave, and then your then your clients come back. Yeah, and, and I think you set know, up a new anime, getting more. Uh, get the cover. <laughs> Repeat. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and just you know, keep keep being cover star with different names every, every three yeah, years. Sure, yeah, sure, yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. It's been getting a long time now, Alex. You know, it's, it's a different world. Um, but you know, these, uh, yeah, we're getting, you know, the only way out, I suppose, is where they've got like succession planning and things like that, and they're just getting people to buy in. And there's sort of next gen, I think, is the thing in the UK that we're kind of looking at at the moment. And there's there's some guys that they're just bringing people in and from day one, almost like partners in the law firm. To say right, you know, there's just so no other way this can work long term in terms of us getting the sort of what we want, you know, from this business, and also making any kind of you know new advisor who comes on board work, is to is to start, you know actually say to think about succession from day one, which just seems to me like running a business that's I don't know <laughs> just a little bit more sophisticated, just a you know well thought out business to be honest. Yeah, no, that, I mean I think it makes perfect sense. In fact, I was just, I was just looking through the, the second issue of uh, Citywire RAA out now in all. Good stores slash online, uh, and yeah, we have a piece on finding the next generation of advisors on it on ah. exactly this. Uh, a guy, he's an RAA, who sort of sets up this um, symposium, I guess, for uh, mini conference really for a bunch of grads from various schools to try and sort of convince them of the the benefits of advice. And I guess just to also drill home that this is a similar audience to NMA. Our previous feature in this mag, entitled "Shouting into the Void." Is RAs complaining that the regulator's not listening to them? <laughs> so I think that's a complaint yeah. that's filled message boards and NMA for about 15 years now. It's been not listening to them for you know, <laughs> <laughs> 15 yeah. years. Ignoring advisors for 20 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so similar gripes. So in some ways, you can, you can travel thousands of miles yeah. and ultimately write the same story that you wrote in your last job. You're the right man for the job. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> perfect <laughs> for it, yeah. Fantastic. Well, look, uh, I think we'll, we'll wrap things up there. Um, Alex, thanks very much for, for your flying visit. Uh, it'd be good to uh, catch up with you again when you're back next. Thanks very much. Thank you, Will.